0: Our immigration system is at points broken and at other points outdated, and we have to modernize it, we have to repair it, and we actually have to move beyond what it is today.
1: You're listening to the World WorldWise podcast in partnership with the Star Scholars Network. I'm your host, Rajika Bhandari where each week I bring you my take on the intersections between education, culture and migration. This podcast is inspired by my recent book, America Calling a Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility, which reveals how education connects the world. Conversations about why education is important in opening our hearts and minds to the world have never been more important as countries and individuals have increasingly turned inwards and away from each other. So join me each week as we go behind the scenes for illuminating and deeply personal conversations with diverse global voices, international students, international education experts, migrants and immigrants, authors and artists, as we explore the varied ways in which the world connects through education. Walk around any U.S. campus today and you will likely meet a large number of students from immigrant backgrounds. Many are first-generation immigrants arriving in the U.S. from another country, and others are second-generation or those born to parents who immigrated. In fact, immigrant-origin students constitute one of the fastest-growing populations of students on American campuses and now make up over a quarter of all students. Add to this large number the almost 1 million international students from other countries and it suddenly becomes clear why we need to have conversations about higher education and immigration. And there's no better time to talk about these issues than this month of June and this week in particular. June is celebrated as Immigrant Heritage Month in the US and last week, June 15th, was the 10-year anniversary of DACA, the program that provides temporary protection to young people who were brought to the US as children and June 20th is celebrated as World Refugee Day. Here today to talk about all this is Dr. Miriam Feldblum, Executive Director and Co-Founder of a group called the Presidents Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration. The Presidents, in the name of the organization, refer to the over 500 presidents and chancellors of US colleges and universities who have come together to advocate for comprehensive immigration reform on their campuses. Miriam and I talk about why it is critical to focus on immigrant and international students, what motivates her each day, both personally and professionally, to support such students, and why and how to move the needle on immigration reform. Miriam and I have gotten to know each other as colleagues over the past two years, and so it is a special delight and honor for me to have her on the show today. Welcome to the WorldWise podcast, Miriam. I'm so delighted to have you join in this week of all weeks. It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you, Rajika. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you again. Now, you know, let's jump right into our conversation. And I know that this past week has been a really big week for higher education and immigration and for the President's Alliance, the organization that you lead. Can you share with us some highlights from some of the developments from this past week? Absolutely. Uh, this past week
0: brought together many of the core issues and advocacy priorities that propelled the founding members um, of the President's Alliance to launch the organization. There was a Senate hearing on higher education and immigration. Uh, we had the 10th anniversary of DACA. Uh, we celebrated World Refugee Day, and in all these and um, all these developments, these were key urgent issues for the President's Alliance. And let me just give you some some highlights. Uh, Last Tuesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee, their subcommittee on immigration, citizenship, and border safety held a hearing entitled Strengthening Our Workforce and Economy Through Higher Education and Immigration. It was chaired by Senator Padilla, who's been a champion of immigration reform and focused exactly on the populations that the President's Alliance focuses on, on undocumented students, international students, and refugee students. And the gist of this hearing was that all three of these student populations are a boon to our country and economy, spurring innovation, contributing to our campuses and communities. The key takeaway was that supporting Their access to higher education, providing pathways to residency and citizenship and employment for undocumented students, international students, refugee students, strengthens our country, strengthens our economy, fortifies our national security. Uh, We applauded the leadership of the senators, committees, and staff, and we at the President's Alliance actually worked very closely with the committee. We we submitted a statement for the record and I encourage anyone who's interested about the issues around higher education immigration to read our statement.
1: Mm-hmm. And we'll share a link to all of that um, in um, in uh, the show notes as uh, as well. So. You know, you just mentioned all of the different student groups that the President's Alliance works with, and it, it, the organization is unique in that, in that it focuses on these four different student groups. And I list them out again, international students, DACA and undocumented students, immigrant students, and refugee students. So my question to you is, why do US campuses need a comprehensive approach to immigration?
0: Well, I think it's a great question. And let me just actually turn back also to last week, because I think it's connected. Mm-hmm. So on Tuesday was a Senate hearing. On Wednesday, it was the 10th anniversary of DACA. That's right. Now, DACA has been transform transformational for many undocumented students and alumni who were able to access it. But it was always meant to be a temporary program. In fact, 400,000 plus undocumented students in college now, and three quarters of the 100,000 undocumented students graduating high school every year are not even eligible for DACA because of its limited time criteria when it was um, uh, launched in uh, 2012. That's why we need to urgently advocate for bipartisan passage of DREAM legislation to permanently protect those undocumented individuals who came to the U.S. as children and provide them with a pathway to citizenship. Um, The urgency is also related to legal challenges and more. But so here we have undocumented students Mm -hmm. who really are looking undocumented individuals, dreamers, who are urgently in need for protection and pathway to citizenship. We just talked about the Senate hearing also that really puts into the forefront the the role that international students play in spurring innovation, contributing to the economy. And this past week was also World Refugee Day. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the other highlights for the President's Alliance. We we actually had a fly-in for DACA this past week that I'm happy to talk about. And for World Refugee Day, we brought together over 150 presidents and chancellors to join a statement to support refugee and displaced students and scholars.
1: Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, and that's such an important statement. And it is on the President's Alliance uh, website. And as you mentioned, there have been over 100 signatures. And and do, do share more about the DACA fly-in. I think it's really important for our listeners to hear about it. Absolutely.
0: Um, so even before the DACA fly-in, we actually held a legal briefing on why DACA's future is so precarious, what's happening in the courts. And I think everyone on campus needs to understand that. Then last week we partnered with many different organizations, including business leaders, advocates, um, and pre-health streamers and others. And we brought around 200 DACA recipients, undocumented students, business leaders, campus leaders to DC for a national press conference, for visits with Senate and congressional offices, for meetings with the White House, to really make the case. We can't wait. DACA was transformational, but it was never enough. And we need bipartisan passage of DREAM legislation, however it looks, but we need DREAM legislation now. And it has to be bipartisan. Um, I was privileged enough to join, to accompany a group of DACA recipients and our presidents for a visit with the First Lady and for meetings with Ambassador Rice at the White House, along with the press conference. And you know, one of the things I was talking to to um, uh, one of our staff just today, who said this was not simply about the individual undocumented student or DACA recipient coming to DC to do this. This was really also a family mm-hmm. kind of experience for them. Um, we had students who were calling their parents from the White House. We had students calling their parents and families from the Hill, from Senate offices, saying this is what I'm doing, this is so important. And it's um, it's meaningful, it's urgent, and all of higher education needs to understand that immigrant and international students are vital to our vibrancy as a, as a sector, but also as individual campuses. It kind of goes back to your other question about why do we need to care about this as a comprehensive um, immigration policy area? And that's because immigrant, and international and undocumented and refugee students are on our campus and they need reform in order to flourish on campus and beyond.
1: Absolutely, and thank you for tying all those all of those uh, threads together. And I think in terms of just adding a number to it, it's also the case that immigrant origin students are one of the fastest group, uh, fastest growing group of students demographically on American campuses. So, it's an it's not a nice to have, but it's an absolute imperative to be focusing on all of these uh, student populations. So, um, you mentioned um, the the lack of legislation around DACA a minute ago, and that's a great segue into um, something else that I'd love to ask you, which is that from where you sit, what would an ideal world of immigration reform look like in terms of how it affects U.S. colleges and universities? Now I know that the, that could in itself be a whole podcast episode, but what are some key changes that you would like to see? Great
0: question. And, um, and it can change by the day in terms of what's feasible. Mm-hmm. So let me first start with ideal ideal is comprehensive immigration reform. Our immigration system is at points broken and at other points outdated. And we have to modernize it, we have to repair it, and we actually have to move beyond what it is today. Uh, And I will say that the Biden administration, right at the beginning of President Biden's uh, tenure in office, introduced the US Citizenship Act of 2021 which does provide a really substantive comprehensive immigration reform. So that would be great if that was able to pass. That's not in the the cards right now. That's not what's what's feasible. Here are three things that I think are feasible and that are priorities for us. One is DREAM legislation, Mm -hmm. and that's permanent protection for DREAMers, those who've come to the US at an early age, and provide a pathway to permanent residency and citizenship. There is bipartisan support among the populace, clear majority bipartisan support for DREAM legislation. And in fact, many Republican and Democratic senators agree and, and, and representatives agree that it's time for DREAM legislation to pass. So that's possible. We just have to have the right uh, package, I think for for dream legislation to pass. Second, a um, little bit more difficult, but also I think would be really foundational and transformational is to establish dual intent for international students. Mm-hmm. And there can be different ways to do it. Is it a standalone bill? Is it a, is it a provision added to other bills? Uh, Right now in the USICA and Competes Act that's being considered by Congress, there's a provision to expand dual intent for international students in STEM. It's, that's something that should be on our kind of immediate range radar. And then finally, there's something that's called university sponsorship of refugee students. This is actually doesn't require legislation, it requires administrative action. And the State Department, actually, right now, and um, the Population and Refugee and Migration Bureau, right now, has put out a call for private, for concept notes for private sponsorship, including university sponsorship. So I think that we know that that will be launched this fall. Um, but. Just take those three items, pathway to citizenship, dual for undocumented students, dual intent for international students, university sponsorship for refugee students, all three of those would be game changers.
1: Absolutely. I could not agree more that even those three would really advance um, the conversation and possibility around uh, immigration reform. Now, much of your career has been spent on campuses, both as a senior leader and faculty member. You've served as the Vice President for Student Affairs, Dean of Students, and Professor of Politics at Pomona College, and as Special Assistant to the President and Faculty Research Associate at uh, the California Institute of Technology, or Caltech, as it's more commonly known what led you to make this pivot from academia and to co-found a group like the President's Alliance? And I'm just curious, was this a big uh, leap of faith for you? Again, from having spent so many of your years in a very different sector and then kind of um, launching this new nonprofit. So take us through that journey on on what, what was that like for you? I love this question. And I will say just at the outset,
0: I think that serendipity played a very important role as it has throughout my entire career. But first, let me just start with the fact that immigration issues and support for immigrant international refugee students matters to me. on a personal level, professional level, and practical level. All three are very invested in these issues. I'm a daughter of a refugee, a Holocaust survivor who came to the US after World War II as a 18 year old, as an 18, 19 year old having spent the years of World War II in the forest. And he has said education saved him. Education, you know, he was the sole survivor of his family. and." he became a professor, a Talmudic uh, uh, scholar. Mm-hmm. Second, I'm an immigration scholar. Um, I grew up in Washington Heights, a very vibrant immigrant neighborhood. And I think from both my personal, from my family background and where I was growing up in the in the US, immigration was, a, Something that that really interested me. I needed to understand membership, citizenship, what it meant, what are the policies, but also have the impact on people. And then practically, I actually moved. When you think about what I was moving from, from being a professor, I started out at University of San Francisco to working in administration at Caltech, and as a student affairs leader focused on student success and flourishing. I realized very quickly that immigration issues impacted students, right? We we talked about the fact that immigrant and international students play such a strong role in in higher education. From 2000 to 2018, 60% of domestic um, enrollment growth was spurred by immigrant origin students. So I was, you know, working with immigrant, first-generation immigrant students, second-generation immigrant students understanding the impacts that was having on themselves with their families. Um, And I I certainly in 2016, two things happened that I think spurred for me, put me in the right place at the right time. One was in spring of 2016, I was fortunate enough to have a three-month research sabbatical at the Migration Policy Institute. And I was really trying to understand why wasn't higher education more engaged in supporting undocumented students and their families. Um, This was something again as Vice President of Student Affairs I had spent so much time on campus and also working with other campuses to have them understand what we can do to support undocumented students and international students. And I realized in talking with those in the major higher ed associations that they had so many competing priorities and that it was really very difficult for them to focus as solely as needed to be on immigration issues. And then of course, later in 2016, President Trump was elected and walking that election night with so many of my students who were in such distress, both undocumented students and international students, um, that it really said to me, we need to do something as a campus. What can we do? And do something beyond just Pomona or the Claremont Colleges where I was at. And because of my experience in DC, I knew that it would be difficult for the major higher ed associations to move so quickly. So with the great leadership of my then boss, President David Oxtaby, we put together what became the Pomona letter where over 700 presidents and chancellors ended up signing in support of DACA because that was already something during the election that there was talk about going, take, going away with DACA. And um, one of the other co-founders, Luis Caldera, who was a former secretary of the army and president of the University of New Mexico, had on his part been talking to advocates about what more can higher education leaders do? And they saw the Pomona letter and with all the all the signatories that it was attracting. And one thing led to another, and David brought me in as a way of saying, if we're gonna kind of bring together presidents, we need someone just like you. And Pomona College was wonderful in giving me another sabbatical and giving support to both David Oxby and myself to launch the alliance with Lewis and, um, 20 plus other founding members so we say 29 founding presidents and chancellors and others um, uh, launched the alliance in late December 2017.
1: Thank you for sharing that powerful story and I actually did not know that uh, about the Pomona letter or that that's what it was uh, called but that is such an uh, amazing uh, story of your own transition, but also sharing uh, sort of what drives you personally when it comes to both, um, not just studying immigration issues, but really advocating for all immigrant and international students. And it's the perfect time for us to be having this conversation, because this month, I wanna remind our listeners, is Immigrant Heritage Month in the US. June is Immigrant Heritage Month. And earlier this week, it was World Refugee Day. So I'm really pleased that we are able to talk about these uh, issues. And I, I just wanna say how much, uh, how valuable your support in the sector has been and everything that you do. And I will share um, in full transparency for our listeners that i work closely with you um, and partner with the President's Alliance. And it's been, Just wonderful to learn from your leadership and um, all of the other colleagues um, and and the presidents and chancellors involved in the President's Alliance. So speaking of the organization itself, um, as a leader of an early stage nonprofit, I'm curious, how have you embodied the vision and goal, uh, goals of the President's Alliance in the organization's uh, day-to-day work? Really important question.
0: So I will say, and you know, again, I feel like I'm always leaping, going back to some of your former questions when you asked if it was a big leap of faith, I will say I did not realize what it meant to co-found a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about that. I remember my colleagues at the Migration Policy Institute who would um, share with me when I said, okay, uh, I'm here, we're founding this organization. And they said, oh my goodness, this is gonna be such hard work. I'd <laughs> rather be at a campus where I know where my next paycheck is coming from and where you know there's more, um, uh, more stability in in an organization. Uh, so, I was very very fortunate, though, again, to have the support of of Pomona and other campuses as we started out, mm-hmm. and you know, being able also to work with funders and partner organizations, an organization like NAFSA was so important to us. They really um, helped us when we were starting out. Share, was, they showed such generosity of spirit as well as the dream.us, forward.us and others. So I think that one of the ways in which we have um, sought to, to really put in motion and put in practice what we believe in is that we work as an aggregator of voices you know one of the things I knew from a campus perspective was if I wanted to help my students I both needed information that I just didn't have time to gather myself I needed that expertise and I needed it in such a fashion that I could easily access it and partner with those that were right for me and so that's something that we try to do at the alliance is provide information that's accessible, digestible, um, uh, meaningful and relevant for campuses, not just for leaders, because also as a campus leader, I knew I needed things also for my staff and for my mm-hmm. students, and that I work in simultaneous kind of environments, both working at the mo- in the moment and also trying to plan long-term. So we do that, at the Alliance as well, and really partner with a multitude of organizations. Uh, beyond higher education. So with immigration advocacy organizations, with business organizations, um, with refugee resettlement organizations, with local and state organizations, to really help make it so that campuses can have the tools and the information they need to be the best champions for their students and the best messengers for forward-looking immigration reform. So in terms of embodying it, we try to be transparent. Mm-hmm. We try to be low cost. You don't have, we don't, we don't have required membership fees. We really say if for maybe financial reasons, maybe political reasons, you really can't um, provide a membership contribution to the alliance. That's okay, because what's important is supporting your students. Mm-hmm. What's important is providing higher education as an immigration pathway, as a resettlement pathway, as a pathway that's equitable and accessible to undocumented students and other immigrant students. So we try to be um, transparent. We try to not be the black box that sometimes campuses encounter. Uh, And we also say that even though our members are presidents and chancellors, we're informed by the perspectives of impacted students, of practitioners, of immigration advocates
1: so that we're, we're addressing the priorities of those who are closest to the problem. And I'll just add, I think, Miriam, from partnering with you, one thing I've learned about you is that the principle that really guides you in the work is true collaboration and not competition. And uh, I think that's really wonderful how the President's Alliance has managed to pull together so many different partners in the field as uh, represented in its uh, main work, but also in the higher education immigration portal, which I know you haven't uh, mentioned, but I will mention because it's a wonderful um, sort of one-stop shop for accessing so much information and data on all of these different um, immigrant um, and international student groups. So I have one final question about the President's Alliance, and then after that I want to um, come back to you and end on a more personal note. But, you know, you mentioned um, the founding of the President's Alliance, um, which, uh, and I think that occurred towards the end of 2017, and there were 29 founding presidents and chancellors. The organization has now grown to over 500 U.S. campus leaders, representing the full range of U.S. academia, including large doctoral public and private institutions, including community colleges, which of course, as we know, are home to a very large proportion of uh, immigrant-origin students. What's next on the horizon for the organization? I love that question. Um,
0: so, a few things. One is to continue to partner with uh, organizations, communities, and advocates from across the spectrum. So we um, we just uh, we we partnered with sixty plus organizations in our work on university sponsorship for refugee students. Mm-hmm. In, the, in our last week's DACA fly-in, we partnered with, I think it was close to a dozen organizations to coordinate this fly-in and, um, and all the work that was embodied in it. So I think there's a, a next level to go mm-hmm. in which we are working more strategically and coherently with each other. One of the things the President's Alliance um, launched just this past January was a state equity table which is to bring together national and local organizations as well as campuses to support change at the state level, in-state tuition, in-state financial aid, professional occupational licensure for undocumented and other immigrant refugee students because there are barriers to success in that. So there are ways in which, yes, we've kind of worked in terms of collaboration and it is a core part of who we are. And now let's take it to the next level Mm-hmm. So that we can actually affect even more change. Second, I would love for, um, for our work around international students to actually shift the conversation on, um, on campuses and in higher education. And Rajika, I'm so we're, we're so privileged and thrilled that, that you um, serve as our, one of our senior advisors and for all your work. Because right now, I think it's still the predominant narrative in higher education that we talk about international education and we frame international students as part of the internationalization Mm -hmm. of campuses. It's in that bucket of work. And in fact, it should be higher education is an immigration pathway for global talent, including international students and refugee students that would be a really fundamental shift. It would really make a difference in the way higher education leaders, students, and communities understood the amazing contributions and the immense contributions of international students and scholars. So we're gonna work on our our initiatives around international students. And then I'll also mention third um, is to, really work with the refugee resettlement community and with other partners so that higher education and campuses are seen as resettlement campuses. So not only as an immigration pathway for global talent, but also as a resettlement pathway for refugee students. Uh, I think that that's also really important. We're not there yet. This requires changes in policy process and changes in the way that, that people actually approach these issues and the way that higher education leaders talk about immigrant and international students. I see the future on the horizon, I know it's doable, and I'm really excited about
1: what we can accomplish all together. Absolutely, and thank you for sharing those three areas of uh, what the future might hold and your future vision. And I on the international student front, you know how uh, how much I agree with everything that you said. And uh, in my book, in fact, I referred to the pathway that you described as a very, very broken um, pathway, yet one that uh, that exists, but needs to be formalized and recognized. So I completely, Agree with you on that front. And one of the things that I think is so important about the President's Alliance is that it is the only organization out there that is head on addressing that intersection and nexus between higher education and uh, immigration. So speaking of books uh, and um, and sort of the arguments that I made in my book as well around higher ed and immigration. I know that you're an avid reader and I'll share for our listeners that you are one of the busiest people that I know and yet I know you've shared with me that you end your day by reading. And uh, you never miss out on your reading each night. And uh, I should say that I'm also so grateful that you've been one of the biggest champions and supporters of my book in so many ways. So my question is, would you leave us with what you're reading right now and any recommendations for summer reading?
0: I always have recommendations and you're right, I'm always reading. That is my um, my, my place to go to after, after work is, is to do some reading. And I will say, um, and especially, uh, we just also not only celebrated World Refugee Day, we just celebrated Juneteenth. And it has been really important for me, I think that um, for my continual growth and learning, that I just finished a kind of a trio of books Mm -hmm. that have um, been really important for me. And even someone who's read a lot of critical race theory, who's read a lot of history, I don't think I understood well enough and deeply enough the legacy of slavery um, in this country and understood also the context for reparations, which I think is is part of this as well. So I just finished reading, I'll tell you the three books, Wilmington's Lie, um, which is about the the murderous coup that took place in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898 and its aftermath. it won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, Pulitzer Prize, and um, it's by David Zucchino, hmm. and it's a, it's a history book. It's worth reading and um, reading carefully mm-hmm. because what happened after um, the Civil War and the rise of white supremacy uh, that it depicts is vital for understanding the the threat around white supremacy that's going on today, I think. Mm -hmm. So understanding, reading that book was really important to me. I also read On Juneteenth by Annette Gordon-Reed, which is about Juneteenth, but also about what was happening in Texas and elsewhere. And that, you know, Uh, in the history and and she just writes beautifully. Uh, I also read, um, it sounds a little bit, the Wilmington's Lie, but then there's White Lies, the dark, um, the double life of Walter F. White, which is about one of the um, um, key figures in the NAACP and the work against lynching. So Wilmington's Lie really ends in the turn of the century and Walter F. White the history of Walter F. White really takes place in the early 20th century to to post-World War II and and gives a really important history around the the efforts against lynching. And all of those really, um, I, I think anyone who hasn't explored enough of this history would benefit greatly. Um, And I think especially also when we talk about white privilege, when we talk Mm -hmm. about the need for diversity, equity, inclusion. And as you and I know, we talk about it also in the context of immigration uh, and higher education, but this is around specifically the legacy of slavery and Mm -hmm. understanding that distinction. When we think about, um, uh, you know, black students who are first or second generation immigrants and those who are the descendants of slaves. I think it's a it, it's a important to understand that. I will also say that as a as a kind of a novel that I'm reading. I'm reading The Sea of Tranquility. Um, this is starting that up. I liked Station Eleven, and so far so good. Um, I think uh, Emily Saint. Uh, I think it's Saint Mandel is a. She's a great author a great writer. I'm also just starting The Streets of Gold, which mm-hmm. is a new immigration book by Ron um, Abramsky and Leah Bustan. And I will say that they open up with a quote that I had on all my syllabi when I was teaching uh, immigration on campuses, which is, you know, I came to the US uh, because I heard the streets were paved with gold and I found out the streets weren't paved with gold. They weren't paved at all. And I was supposed to pave them. <laughs> that's and, <right. laughs> and that's in the Ellis Island Museum. And it also, that's another museum that's a great museum to go to that has a very self-reflective, critical understanding of what went on in, in Ellis Island. Uh, but that, that's a book that I've only just started, but it has, um, it's been great, um, uh, the first chapter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in fact, I just heard the authors on uh, on an HBR podcast recently discussing um, some of the issues that they cover in, in their new book on immigration. And uh, another one that just came out yesterday, I think, was a book called uh, City of Refugees. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, that was a new book that um, that was just released uh, this week as well. Well, those are all wonderful recommendations, Miriam, and also just show sort of that range of books that you typically read. So um, thank you for sharing those and uh, we'll link to some of those in the show notes uh, as well. And I really, really want to thank you again for making time today during this very important week in the US, where everyone's attention is on immigration and refugee issues. And I can't think of anyone better to have on the show to be talking about all of this. So thank you so very much again. Thank you. And thank you for all
0: your work and leadership in this area, Rajika. Um, I'm thrilled to be here with you and very grateful for all your work.
1: Thank you, Miriam. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying and recommending the show. I'm your host, Rajika Bhandari. As always, please like us, follow us, and most importantly, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. All information about the show and show notes are available on my website at www.rajikabhandari.com podcast. And if you'd like to delve more into the sorts of themes we talk about on this show, be sure to get a copy of my new book, America Calling a Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility available wherever books are sold and through my website. And also subscribe to my newsletter. See you next week when I will be back with another conversation about how education helps open our hearts and minds to the world.